Matt Snyderman wants you to yell at people. The story that is offending sensible people all over the world right now from Yahoo.com, it's okay to yell at strangers who don't wear masks. This is the height of the insanity that coronaphobia has gotten to. They have led so many people to be so afraid that they're willing to give up basic human principles of common decency, of respect for your fellow human beings who you share the planet with. And there are just two obvious problems with this. First of all, the presumption that you need to be wearing a mask even in the world of bootlicking propaganda believers, if you've gotten the virus and gotten over it and you have the antibodies, there is no reason whatsoever for you to wear a mask. No justification under any circumstances. You cannot get or hold or transmit the virus at that point. That's how viruses work. Really simple. And I know at all, but what, what people got it again? No, no. Even with those stories, we see lies and manipulation of data. No, no, no. This is a virus. It works like a virus. You're a human being with an immune system. It works like an immune system. And there's just the inhumanity of this. Someone is, again, if you, in the world of propaganda-believing bootlickers, well, gee, there's still no reason. If you believe that someone is not wearing a mask and they're wrong, There's no reason to beat them down, to make it, th- them feel bad. You, you really, if, if someone is making a mistake, if someone is, is, is unintentionally putting others at risk, the proper humane response is education, compassion, uplifting, assisting, informing. Not bullying. But this is exactly what the powers that be want us to do. To be at each other's throats. To be angry. To be divided. The story, I got, I mean, I'm going to, we're going to just deconstruct all of this nonsense. Because it's so important to examine the dangerous groupthink that we're experiencing right now, the unthinking obedience, the herd mentality. Roughly two-thirds of Americans say they wear masks in public. Unfortunately, that still leaves a substantial portion of potential COVID-19 carriers unmasked. First of all, how dehumanizing is this? You're not a, you're not a person. You're a potential COVID-19 carrier. Now, I use this term dehumanization of the uh, uh, dehumanization very uh, deliberately because in the military it's 
dehumanization of the enemy. I know this is going to sound like a bit of a wild sidebar, but trust me, I'm going to bring this back. There is a very well-known study that shows from World War I until more recent wars in American history, American soldiers had a very low rate of shooting to kill. It is so contrary to human nature to take another human life that even as recently as World War I, militaries couldn't really get most of the troops most of the time to shoot to kill. They were shooting over the enemy's head more often than not. Now, with conditioning and propaganda, World War II, they got that number up. Vietnam, even higher. Gulf War, Iraq, Afghanistan, even higher. And when I went to boot camp, when we did the 500-yard iron sights M16 marksmanship training, now we shoot at B targets, that is body-shaped targets. The terms used to describe Arabs in the military after 9-11, well, I don't think I have to repeat that racism here. When you dehumanize the enemy, it's easier to kill them. When you see your fellow Americans as potential COVID-19 carriers, they make it a lot more likely that you're going to support legislation based on them not being humans, but potential COVID-19 carriers who are a threat to you, who might go kill grandma by not wearing a mask. Coming across anyone flouting public health recommendations and putting you, your family, and your community at risk triggers a number of thoughts and feelings. Yes, for people who are triggered, for people who don't have emotional self-control, for people who aren't really huh, adults because you've been emotionally stunted by an American education system designed to condition you to be a good little obedient wage slave, not a fully actualized adult with control of your emotions and a sense of what it means to be an individual human being, realizing your potential in the world. And there's only you're putting them at risk. No. If you're going out and exposing them inappropriately or yourself, you are putting yourself at risk. And you, guess what? You get to decide your own level of risk. They can, you know, coercively interfere with your expression of that decision-making ability. But sorry, you're not a slave. You own yourself. And the, the, the masks that people are wearing, yeah, really better described as slave muzzles. Depending on the situation, your annoyance could range from a mild simmer to an all-out rolling boil. So what do you do? If you experience an all-out rolling boil, when you see someone not wearing a mask, what do you do? Stop everything else in your life, go home, and rethink things. You probably need counseling, therapy, a chance to grow up into a real adult. First off, your indignation at that Target shopper in front of you in line without so much as a handkerchief around their neck is not is, is, excuse me, is warranted. Wearing a mask is crucial. The medical community, including White House Health Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci, has said in as many ways possible that Americans who aren't wearing face masks are increasing the risk of spreading the coronavirus. No, no, this is, I mean, this is a, a really bad logical fallacy. And it's not backed up by science. Uh, my friend Ben Swan recently did a video that has the best 
analysis on the effective ma- effectiveness of masks that I've seen yet. And he cites a number of studies that all show it makes things worse. Shocking, right? What government is telling you to do is not good for you. I mean, just you go back, look, this is, this is not new where the government has made widespread public health recommendations that turned out to be bad for your health. And just look at the food pyramid. Remember the food pyramid that we grew up with? Giant base of carbs. Yeah. There were certain industries that lobbied for that, that profited from that, because they wanted Americans to consume more grains. They they wanted Americans to buy their products, and they were willing to get government to lie to you in order to get you to do that. Only when we got a revised food pyramid years later. Oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, eating excessive carbs causes obesity and heart problems and all sorts of, surprise, surprise. No, wearing a mask is, this has been clearly, the only people who should be wearing masks are health professionals, people taking care of those who are sick and people who know they are sick. So, this is also an appeal to authority. And, and, And if you look at all of the propaganda being used to justify mask wearing, it's all correlation studies. Well, we found that when this happened, this happened. Not causation. Not, and I'm not saying they're not scientific, right? I mean, they're, they're, they, they follow a scientific methodology of examining an issue and showing correlation. But they're not scientific studies in the true sense of following full scientific methodology of having a control group, an experiment, and, and clearly demonstrating that the difference causes are not just correlations. Correlation means things go together. Causation means one thing causes another. If you show correlation, like these two things are associated, it's very easy to confuse people and say, look, one of them caused the other. But they could both be caused by the same thing. Duh. You know, and, and it just takes a little bit of critical thinking to see past this propaganda that is so often based on appeals to authority. If someone tells you, you need to wear a mask because government said so, that person should be thoroughly discredited. You should never listen to this person ever. It's dangerous. That is one of the most dangerous logical fallacies of appeal to authority. Well, because authority said it, it must be true. Do I, do I really need to go through a list of all the horrific tragedies in human history that, that have occurred because people just believe that whatever government said must be true? I hope not. Because if you look at human history, Every major tragedy has required people going along with authority. Even asymptomatic carriers of the virus may be spreading the disease. It's absolutely reckless to expose the elderly and other at-risk groups to airborne coronavirus, the reason for social distancing and wearing face masks in the first place. Well, then, no, people who are vulnerable should like, quarantine works. You don't quarantine healthy people. You quarantine sick people. But understanding the situation is important. Some people might not be wearing their mask, letting it dangle around the neck for a minute because they were hot or uncomfortable. Some people may have simply spaced out on wearing a mask outside of their home because, honestly, mask wearing is not yet second nature. Other people, particularly minorities, might not be wearing a mask of any sort in certain areas because covering their faces could be more dangerous than 
catching COVID-19. And yet, and I'm like, wait, 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 what? Wait, let's, let's throw a race into the mix. Wait, wait, covering their faces to be more dangerous? Because you, you're a minority? Like, really? Now, I understand, by the way, there is a significant way that this crisis is disproportionately affecting minorities because minorities in America trend to be uh, on the side of poverty, uh, which means they're working more service jobs. They're less likely to have lobbyists in Washington looking out for them, so they're more likely to be suffering from the forced unemployment crisis. They're less likely to have savings to fall back on, family members that they can live with when they get evicted. So, uh, just wow. But the thing about all these studies, and, and again, the ones that Ben Swan uh, cited in, in his video, they, they show that wearing a mask is harmful. There, and, and there are a couple just obvious ways. One, you're limiting your oxygen intake. The mask traps your exhale. You're taking in less oxygen. Now, I, I wear a bandana over my face a lot because I work outside I use a chainsaw, I've got wood dust particles, I've got just dust from working outside, I've got tree pollen when I'm trimming trees, you know, just doing, doing you know, homesteading, construction, landscaping type of work, etc. I don't keep it on all the time. You feel it, it's, it's inhibitive, right? You, you take, I, I work and, you know, when I, I stop and I drink water pretty regularly when I'm working outside. And you feel that. So, one, it, it can actually lower your immune response and your capability and your overall health because you're limiting your oxygen intake for extended periods. No shit, that's not good for you, right? And there are studies that back this up. I'm not just, oh, well, it seems to make sense. No, look at the science. It's very clear. And they, wearing a mask in these controlled studies shows is your likelihood of contracting the virus goes up. The rebreathing is part of it. Your ma- like when, when medical professionals wear the actual surgical masks, they wear them for a limited time and they throw them out because they get saturated with your exhale, with your, your saliva, with that moisture. It becomes a breeding ground for bacteria and viruses. And then the third way is that you end up touching your face more. Just try If you're trying to wear a mask for an extended period, there's no way around it. You're going to touch your face more. As it turns out, in actual scientific studies, fully using scientific methodology with control groups, it shows masks increase your risk of infection. So why, why are they trying to do this? It's all about control, money, and power. So the article goes on, and here's where it gets interesting. And yes, there are some for whom not wearing a mask is a willful act of assholery. These people are unwilling to conform to a new societal norm and refuse to yield what they believe to be their right to breathe free. Look, you if, if you're scared, like, and I'm not trying to say that people you know, aren't scared. People are scared. And that's fine. If you're scared, isolate yourself. Stay home. You do not have the right to tell other people that they must be scared. And again, this, this, this is bullying. 
social peer pressure. The things we were taught in school are bad. But, yeah, unwilling to conform to a new societal norm. The assumption here is that because it's the new societal norm and the authorities are telling us that we should, it must be good. Again, historical examples of the danger of this attitude abound. Of course, there's no way to know exactly which type of non-face mask wearer you're dealing with, and there are ways to approach a situation delicately before your anger boils over. So before you form a posse of fellow shoppers to shame them, consider alternatives to confrontation. Start slow and escalate as needed following these five steps. Five stages of mask-wearing grief. When you find yourself in a situation with someone who isn't wearing a mask, here's how to gauge your reaction, how to handle the situation empathetically, and when to really let them have it. I, I really have a problem just with this sentence. Like, how to handle a situation, you know, with empathy that recognizes they're your fellow human being, and then how to just destroy their humanity and ignore that entirely. Like, just same sentence, really. Okay, stage one, minor annoyance. When your anger is at this level, your best option in most scenarios is to let it go as long as you're not willfully putting anyone else in danger and as annoying as it may be to have to walk away, your gut is telling you this is not worth a fight. Listen to your gut. Stage two, pretty annoyed. You're ticked off. Your anger heightened by a justifiable fear for your family and community. Still, the risk of getting COVID-19 from this person is unlikely. And getting close enough to exchange words is a surefire way you can increase your your chances of exposure. Get away if possible. Now, just for a second, let me, let me step back and go, what is, what is wrong with this scale? As Ben Shapiro famously said, facts don't care about your feelings. This entire thing is based on your feelings. How should you treat your fellow human beings? Well, if you feel good, treat them good. If you feel shitty, treat them shitty. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, woo! Stage two, pretty annoyed. You're ticked off. Your anger is heightened by justifiable fear for your family and community. Still, the risk of getting COVID. Okay, sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed with the stupidity of this. I'll try not, to, I'll try not to let it affect my, my deconstruction of this nonsense. Stage three, a growing anger. This is the level where not saying something bears a greater risk than saying something, say, at a kid's birthday party, obviously knowing the person is not wearing a face mask, or knowing someone there who does makes engaging them far less fraud, but it should still be done considerately. Initiate any conversation with someone not wearing a face mask is just that conversation. People, instead of instructing them to wear a face mask or else, get curious. As Dr. Alan Chu, assistant professor of psychology at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay, is quoted saying, "People do not like to be forced to do things, and that's what we are getting with non-compliance and wearing masks. When people feel like they're being pushed to do so, ask the following statements based on motivational interviewing techniques in order to help people take ownership of the change you want to see. Here are the statements he suggests with their intent. When I'm curious why you're not wearing a mask, gathering information." I see your point, too. Why is your point? What do you think about the research evidence that shows wearing a mask may, can significantly reduce chance of infection? Are you concerned about your health and your families? Showing empathy, indicating facts and care, prompting thoughts. So, three, what are the costs and benefits for you to wear a mask? Understanding any perceived barriers and getting them to analyze the fact that there are more benefits in there. So, okay, what would I, how would I respond to these? 
And what do I think about the research evidence that shows wearing a mask can significantly reduce the chance of infection? Well, I'm more motivated to look at the research that proves wearing a mask increases your risk of infection rather than that, you know, can significantly or may or has the possibility or a study suggests and, and more researches. You know, because these studies, when they show correlation, and then when they're actually, like, you know, published in scientific journals, they say, you know, further research is needed to examine this correlation to see what the causation effects are. Well, the further research has been done. So am I concerned about your health and your family's? Yes, and that's why I'm not wearing masks. What are the costs and benefits for you to wear a mask? Well, the cost is the, yeah, the chore of it. Uh, but it's also my health. I don't want my health to be compromised. I want to be healthy, so I'm not going to wear a mask. Four, what would you do after this conversation in order to make this a habit during these times? Um, well, it's already a habit to not wear a mask. I'm only going to wear one if I'm around someone who's freaking out or if a store owner specifically asks me to put on a mask in order to be in their store out of respect for their private property. Stage four, are you effing kidding me? This is when you're really pissed. You've got to say something. While Chu doesn't recommend confronting strangers about face mask wearing in public, he does suggest that a similar conversation could happen, say, in a Walmart checkout line, provided to begin with unrelated chit-chat, the weather, a deal on cereal, etc. So this is someone giving you instructions on how to subversively like fraudulently, with ill intent, sneak his propaganda into a regular conversation. Because if you start with it, it's freaking absurd. If after two or three back and forth, you can tell the person is not aggressive, if they seem friendly and welcoming, you could bring it up with a motivational interview. But if they're not interested in a conversation, I wouldn't mention it. Now, if what Chu is saying is correct here, that not wearing a mask puts people around you at risk, what he's doing is Sending you on a suicide mission. Go and go and have an extended conversation of multiple exchanges with strangers who aren't wearing masks in public places. Do you not see the contradiction in this? Not hey, you know, protect yourself and stay six feet away and don't talk to yourself. No, he's saying go go get you know at least. I mean, I guess you're talking from six feet away, face to face with someone. Not, well, if the virus can spread six feet away. Airborne particles and droplets, be afraid, be very afraid. Don't talk to people not wearing a mask in public unless you're going to bully them. If you're going to bully them, then go ahead, get in their faces, have an extended conversation, and fraudulently sneak in some of our propaganda. Freaking insane. Stage five, go F yourself. Here the person seems to willfully be endangering those around them. Your anger is appropriately ballistic. Just as you'd scream at a driver doing 100 miles an hour in a school zone, you're going to scream at the person not wearing a face mask when you're standing in line because you're in line with your kids and elderly people. And he just did the confusion here. Your kids? Even by all of the worst propaganda, kids are vulnerable to this. But you have elderly people? If this is a threat, why are elderly people going out in a way that they're not protected? If they're really vulnerable, they go out and wear a face shield, and then it doesn't matter if anybody around them is not wearing a mask. 
We should be yelling at you for bringing elderly people out without a face mask, without a full face screen. How dare you put them at risk? But no, that's not the point of the article. The point of the article here is about how to bully people and transfer responsibility to others. Instead of taking responsibility for yourself, your safety, your level of risk, and your emotional state. Now, is any of this going to work? Like, even even here, the stage four, are you effing kidding me? Like, really, you're going to have a conversation with someone in a Walmart checkout line. And like, just think about how stupid this is for a second. You're talking to a person who just parked their car outside of Walmart, walked in without a through the one door that they're funneling everybody through so everybody can be closer as they're going in and out. Yeah, okay. And then went around the store shopping and is now in the checkout line. Sorry, not only is the viral cat out of the bag, but they're already about the, they're paying for their stuff and leaving. But bullying, yeah, it works, but this... If you've tried the softer approach and hit a wall of willful, willful ignorance or downright anger, get help. If you're in a store, inform customer service, the on-site manager or another employee should enforce the business's rules all on no shirt, no shoes, no service. Yeah, let's be narcs. Let's all be narcs now. Yeah. This is, I mean, I hate to make, like, comparisons to, to historical examples that, are, that seem extreme compared to what we're experiencing today, where, you know, there was, you know, widespread deliberate murder in the open. That's not quite what we're seeing today. Although it is, I mean, uh, there are a lot of people now who are looking at government policy towards what they have done to seniors as, as a deliberate mass casualty event, where the manipulation of uh, where seniors stay and public power of, you know, elderly care centers, things like that, has led to a lot of deaths. And, and by some, and you go, well, the science clearly showed that this was predictable. Did you kill these people deliberately? <laughs> because it kind of looks that way. Snitch society is what they are pushing us towards with this. And it's extremely dangerous. I think history makes that very clear. As much legal right as the person may have outside the store to flout mask wearing, inside it's the store's right to refuse them. If a person is blatantly putting others at risk, you've tried the above tactics and you're not in a business setting and you want to get a message across, go for it. Let loose a salvo of swear words. Sometimes you just need to yell. Sometimes you just need a murder. Sometimes you just need a rape. Sometimes you just need to go kick babies. But you're not supposed to give in to those impulses. That's what makes us humans, adults, not animals. We don't go around just yelling at each other whenever we feel like it. No, we have this thing called self-control and reason and logic. And But you know what? I, I do, I, I want to yell. At Matt Schneiderman. I want to yell at everybody who's taking on this line. Because you're the ones who are actually getting people killed. You are increasing the overall death rate in America by promoting mask wearing. Yeah. 
The science says there is blood on your hands. And it's not just some abstract analysis of the data now. It's very clear in a lot of places we have clear proof that suicides are outpacing corona deaths already. Doesn't it surprise you? Does that seem a little, little odd that in all of the health advisories that we've seen from government, not one of them, and I'm sure someone's got some local exception that's noting this, but from what I've seen, and from the major ones, you know, none of them, and, and the clear message is wear masks, be afraid, bully your neighbors, right? You know what would actually lower the mortality rate, lower the impact of this virus, like with all viruses? People being healthier. They don't tell you that. It's like a footnote at best. Eat right. Exercise, sleep well. You want to be healthy? You want to be you want to be less prone to disease to contract? Do those things. No, they don't want you to do that. Stay fat, lazy, and obedient. Stay emotionally stunted. Be a child. Yell at your fellow Americans. I, I, I honestly, I don't know you know how we stop this, how we push back. But what is it? This is what they want. They want division. They want anger. They want you divided between mask wearers and non-mask wearers, white and black, rich and poor, blue and red. And by the way, those are just flavors of statism. Republicans and Democrats, they all buy into this fundamental dehumanization and bullying worldview because they have to in order to justify their policies that are based on violating individual rights. The libertarian perspective is the only one where we say, look, you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want as long as you don't force it on anybody else. And that's what this is all about, justifying the force, justifying the coercion, keeping you divided and conquered and distracted so you don't see who the real enemy is. I, I mean, I hope this can lead to some kind of revolutionary paradigm shift, awareness, right? War is when government tells you who the enemy is. Revolution is when you figure it out for yourself. Well, right now, it feels in many ways like we are a nation at war with ourselves along these petty lines of division. When we figure out who the real enemy is, yeah, maybe revolution is coming. The real enemy is the people who would use tactics like this to manipulate you, to beat you down, 
to make it easier for the powers that be to exploit you, to continue to exploit you, to continue the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. As Franklin said, if we don't hang together, surely we will all hang separately. In terms of what to do, your answer is going to be different based on your circumstances. But if we're going to come through this, we must hang together. And every answer that we apply must be grounded in logic and reason and love for our fellow human beings. Not this kind of bullying. Anyway, whew! Today is July 20th, 2020. Welcome to Adam versus the Man. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Jim, thank you for bringing this story to my attention. Joining us back in studio today, Common Jim Freedom, appearing on the other side. I'm pointing at my fridge now. In real life, Jim is over there. I'm pointing at you and it's not fair. Boom. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Freedom. Uh, Jim, I hope that was an important opener oh you nailed it yeah that was when i saw that this morning i couldn't believe it i read it this morning like the part that they are basically telling people to yell at people at a birthday party you know what i mean there's a part in there where saying if you're at a birthday party that's a smaller space and people are you know so there's more reason to yell at somebody or to confront somebody is the way they (sighs) so insane man i couldn't yeah, I hope, I hope that was the ultimate refutation. I hope when people are sharing that article, they share this the, the, the video clip that we do from that in response. Like, I really hope that what I just said is useful in the conversation. You know, it's it's never okay to, to bully people. It's just, I mean, I guess I want to say there's exceptions when it's, like, truly defensive. You know, someone's, you know, life and limb, you know, is an immediate risk. It's, well, it's sort of like, you should never lie, hit, or steal. Well, th- these are actions that are violations of another person's right to self ownership. But if it's done defensively, it's it's entirely it's something you should never you, know, you should never hit someone because it's violating their self ownership. Well, you can in defense, like you should never lie to someone, uh, or, or in a, you know other than a, a privacy lie, you know because you're uh, you know you're, you're committing a fraud against another person. Well, you can use a fraud defensively the same way. You know, someone's pointing a gun at you. Hey, look at the plane. Smack, get the gun out of their hand. Yeah, I think it's an obvious enough point. Uh, but, yeah, and, and have there been any uh, any comments, any responses from the audience for that opener this morning? Uh, yeah, a lot of people are right with you. Uh, Gina, Just enthusiastic support. <laughs> Gina Wilcox must have came in late. She said, can you repeat the article you were talking about? It's, uh, yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, and if if you want to find it, um, let me let me just pull it back up and read the title. If anybody really wants to go back, um, but no, don't share it. Like, don't share the article. Don't read it. Um, now it's not pulling up. But yeah, it's okay to yell at strangers. Uh, it's yeah, there it is. Uh, it's okay to yell at strangers. You don't wear a mask on Yahoo.com. That's it. Uh, any uh, any disagreement? Anything I missed in in, in presenting that 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 should be included in that line of reason? Um, not that I can think of. Everybody was pretty much agreeing with you. There was one debate going on with Faith Walker Todd. He's saying, uh, 
that no one is dying of COVID, that it's a massive hoax. Uh, yeah. See, I don't think you can say that. I think you have to maintain the intellectual integrity of recognizing that this is, this is a real thing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a legitimate human health uh, phenomena, like a, a crisis, yes, outbreak, ep- epidemic, pandemic, you know, I, I, how do you define those? I don't, I don't really care, you know. Um, but it is a regular, it, it is like a funky off-season flu, right? And people die of the flu. People are dying of this. Um, it is, it, you know, but it's only people for whom, I mean, it's, it, it, think of the flu, it's a minor health aggravator. Like, very few people, like, in order to die from the flu, you have to be, and it's not just it, elderly and immunocompromised is kind of an oversimplification of, of the science of those things. It's not because you're old. It's because old people tend to have comorbidities. They have other conditions. They have other ways their body is breaking down. A perfectly healthy person who's old, who's got a generally functioning immune system, will not die from a normal viral infection. If you're extremely weak, if you if, if you're just old, if you're if you're really frail, I mean, there there is the possibility that you're just old, right? But you have to be so degraded in your immune system functioning as an elderly person for the virus by itself to kill you, right? You know, and yeah, there are those people. I'm not, I wouldn't try to deny that, but those are people who would, you know, die from a common cold virus or die from any other flu, right? And, you know, for the immunocompromised, yeah, it, it, it's even, even then, it's an aggravating factor. Like, by itself, does it kill you? The only people the virus really kills by itself are people who are literally about to die anyway. As in, you know, within a month or two. Like, you're so degraded in your overall immune system functioning by old age, but everything's perfectly healthy. Otherwise, you're, like, on your deathbed already. Those are the only people the virus just kills by itself. Everybody else has some other minor or, I'm sorry, major, you know, uh, comorbidity or aggravating condition. So, you know, it, it's, it sucks when people are using this kind of manipulative propaganda to, to not just be, like, over the top and dismissing it, but you have to maintain that intellectual integrity so that people listening to you don't go, oh, well, he doesn't, he's, he's denying science. And, like, that, that, that's the science. So to, to the, the, the pandemic, the, 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 the conspiracy nature of this, you, you don't have to say, oh, they engineered the virus. No, the, 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 and, and this could be, and I, the, the more I've seen this, the more I'm actually inclined to think there is not a singular deliberate global conspiracy, but possibly – a conspiracy of you know the, the of the super class of the bankers saying hey next time there's a virus that people get a little over scared about let's super hype it way up and use it to do all these other things yeah that yeah that kind of explains it anything else this morning Jim Jim do we have a contest to give away a producer uh, club member have a contest CJ has a contest actually today before we get to that one more comment from Ed in our backstage uh, one of our patron members. An armed society is a polite society. They don't jam you up about no math so quick when you're armed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to avoid bullying, open carry. Yeah. So, CJ, let's bring you up and uh, hear what that contest is you got. All right. 
So, uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Gardenia. Uh, good morning, my fellow Americans. Uh, I, uh, I, I love the first part of the intro this morning specifically because the irony of, of the bully pulpit being what it is. Uh, my rights don't end where your feelings begin is the message of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, I just thought, well, wow. Um, I'm glad you went through the whole article because I can, I get that little privilege of getting to know what's ahead, just like a little glimpse. And I can kind of knowing you kind of go, oh, Adam's going to have a good one for this one. And I'm just going to hold on to my butt and I'm going to try to do the best I can on my end. But I'll tell you what, bravo, sir. Bravo. You, you summed it up my feelings completely this morning. And, uh, you know, your rights don't end where my feelings begin. Um, so, uh, but I do have a contest uh, because it is the producer's club, and I figured, well, I didn't hear you guys say you had one, so I have one. Um, but, but first, before we get to that, I want to uh, first remind everybody that this show is going to be switching to Patreon only. And if you do not get yes. into the Patreon club... All the comments you see that are being aggregated right now, whether they be intellectual or trolling, will not be affecting us because we'll be aggregating comments of only those that care enough to support this broadcast with your your just simply a dollar, just to be okay. Like we we just Very okay. just just you're you're okay. Like we we <laughs> like you. Um, we still like if you want to be good though, and you want to see what Jim's doing behind the scenes, like check this out. This is something that I thought, wow, you guys won't even get to it today because of all the news. So I, I better do this in the producer notes. But look at this picture. Look at this. This this is from Gardenia? Yeah. Okay, okay. So you, you just, I mean, seriously, like, that's just some cool stuff. And that's like this nerdy stuff that I enjoy because I, I had read that there was going to be a media or a comet or something. And I'm sitting there going, or the comet. And I was sitting there looking outside. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to see it in South Dakota. But it looked like Gardenia was going to have a prime viewing spot for it. And there's a cool picture of it. You know, pretty pretty awesome there. But uh, I do have a, a, a contest, though. And today's contest is simply name this person. And, 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 uh, and the tiebreaker is what is he talking about and what year was it? So that's that's the just for those again. It's who is saying this, and and uh, and uh, what year is it, and what is this about? Let me get this right there. Click, click. Okay, here we go. Reports that say there's that 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 something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because. As we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. I know, I know. That's a good one. Oh, man, we're going to have fun picking that apart at the end of the show. All right, you want to just restate the contest there, CJ? Say again, sir. Could you restate the contest? Okay, so who was that? What are they talking about? And the tiebreaker is, what year was it? All right. 
There we go. That's a fun one. Thank you very much, CJ. Jim. All right, CJ. By the way, it was funny to hear you. You getting kind of ahead of me. Uh, getting into getting into Twitter this morning. Um, you know, because I I was I had the uh, picture of the comet pulled up. It's been very cool. I, I just I, I got to talk about this. I was kind of off topic for the show, but one of the coolest things happening in in Gardenia right now is that we have a prime viewing location for the Neowise Comet that is naked, uh, excuse me, visible to the naked eye, uh, barely at times. And, uh, you know, if you go, like, I, I put hashtag Neowise uh, on my tweet. If you go and if you click on that, some of the professional photographers capturing this thing are doing some really amazing work. Uh, this was, and, and so the, the picture that CJ's got pulled up here, you see my dome and the lights and everything, and the, you can actually see the freeway headlights, actually, from the I-40 there in the background as well. This is a one-minute and five-second astrophotography exposure with my Pixel 3XL cell phone that I do this show on. You know, it's just amazing what the cell phones can do now. And th- this isn't even the best picture of the comet. This is the best picture overall. Uh, Jim has some better ones that more clearly show the comet. Uh, they'll be on our Instagram as well. Instagram at the Gardener Freedom. Please follow us there. And tonight, so this was this was, it was a pretty cloudy, hazy night, and I only got my camera working when it was kind of late. But you can see the comet coming through the clouds in some of my pictures in a really cool way. So I know people are interested. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll post. Uh, you know, post some more, but I'm definitely going to have another little night photography session uh, with with the uh, Neowise Comet uh, later tonight. We've also been doing these amazing sunset time lapses, and the one I did last night was, I think, my favorite so far. I'm, I'm watching it play in front of me right now. It's just, I, I, I love sunsets. Uh, we need to start doing some sunrises, too. Uh, there's some other fun stuff on my Twitter uh, if you want to look that up, twitter.com uh, slash at Adam Kokesh. But what I really want to talk about from Twitter today, so um, let's see. Let me, let me pull up this tweet. So on Friday, uh, I had my biggest tweet in a long time. I, I, I don't think I've ever had one go this viral. CJ, if you could scroll down and pull this up from July 17th, I wrote, associating hashtag BLM with Marxism is the racists coming up with an excuse to attack something they already hated. Now, I didn't really think that much of this tweet. By the way, it's really poorly worded. Associating BLM with Marxism is an activity is the thing. A thing, the people. Like, really? Associating BLM with Marxism is the racists coming up with an excuse to attack someone, something they already hated. Like, I got I to, like, explain, deconstruct this a little bit. But just, like, right off the bat, you, you don't read this and go, oh, yeah, that's a well-composed sentence. It's just like, I mean, it's a little poetic, maybe abstract, maybe like people liked it, I guess. I don't know. Um but a lot of people seem to have deliberately misread this. Now, this tweet got 
268 retweets, 567 likes, but even more comments, 773. And a lot of the responses were, I'm just here for the ratio. Because at first people were trolling me for this. And even comic Dave Smith, who I generally like and respect and, you know, enjoy his voice and his presence. I think he's a great contributor to the movement. He retweeted this with some kind of, like, paraphrasing, snarky thing, or basically saying this is not thinking. It's like, yeah, I turned off my brain, and then this tweet came out. Really? Come on, Dave. Like, and again, not refuting any of the points made here. It was really shocking how much logical fallacy was thrown at me in response to this tweet. And it was really fun, like, to have my alerts blowing up all weekend. But it was just, it was so much nonsense. And even from from Dave Smith. And by the way, Dave, I'm happy to come on your show again if you want to interview me again about this. I'd love to have you on Adam versus the Man to get into this again. You're you're a you're a great speaker and presenter, and you're funny. It would be great to have you on for a conversation. Uh, you know, I, I invited him in my uh, by Twitter DM. Um, and if he doesn't respond, I'll, I'll send out an email. I guess look up whatever his proper point of contact is. But you know, he's talking about Twitter, so I sent him a DM on Twitter. He's got my cell phone number. You know, I gave him that again. Um, but to the point of this, like, there are people, like, a lot of the people who are freaking out, like, really triggered by this, you know, try to point out when I called them out for being triggered, you know, show me where on this doll my tweet hurt you. It was, it was one of those moments. Like, but you're wrong. You're just, you're like, I'm wrong about stuff all the time. Why did this trigger you? You know, you got to ask yourself, like, well, if I'm wrong and you agree with me on everything else, and I'm, I'm, I'm right about everything except this one thing, you would say, hey, hey, Adam, um, let me show you why you're wrong and respectfully and, and, and just, hey, you might want to take that down. It's, you're, you're incorrect or issue a correction or, or whatever. But that's not what the response was. It was, like, a lot of curse words, a lot of ad hominems. Apparently a lot more people on Twitter than I thought know how small my penis is. That's shocking, right? Like, it's, people are, like, triggered. Like, this really threatened a lot of people. Now, as a background, there are a lot of libertarians, I should say people who pretend to be libertarians, who always attack the left or always attack the right. And you go, well, if you're more threatened by one of the, maybe you're just using libertarianism as a maybe you're not really a libertarian because if you're a libertarian, you go left and right. They're both wrong. They're both dangerous, uh, more or less equally. And there's subjective, you know, differences in opinion there. But more or less, they're they're both as wrong as the other. Certainly wrong, right? They're both dangerous. And and people generally like you know a true libertarian is is intellectually offended by and inclined to be critical more or less equally of the left and the right. So when you see someone claiming to be a libertarian, but always attacking the left or always attacking the right, that's a clear sign that they're probably not a real libertarian. Like, they're probably some kind of front. They're, they're using libertarianism as a way to pull libertarians away from the left or the right. And, and the thing is, as a libertarian... I want to work with the left when they're right on issues. I want to work with the right when they're right on issues because that's how we get more freedom. If we say, well, well, they're right, so we don't want to work with them. And with, with 
what I'm seeing is this deliberate attempt to separate libertarians from the Black Lives Matter movement or just, you know, and I'm not like, I'm not going to protests and organizing it. Like, people are, you know, critical of me on Twitter as if this is like everything I'm about now. Like, no, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, do you want to call, some people have defined uh, the Black Lives Matter movement as opposed to the organization as, you know, anybody who believes that Black Lives Matter and that that's worth saying and doing something about. And in that case, like, I yeah, 100%. I'm part of the Black Lives Matter movement, not the corrupt organization that is co-opting it and subverting that message. So there's this wedge tactic being used against libertarians, and this is really dangerous because it leads libertarians to be isolated. What you don't want us talking and working with people on the left and right because they have ideologies that we disagree with. I mean, just because you're a neckbeard living in your parents' basement who doesn't know how to talk to people doesn't mean that every libertarian should be just like you. So, to, to the tweet itself, like associating BLM with Marxism. Like and, and there's a fair association, right? Uh, two of the founders of one of the groups that is organizing within the movement of Black Lives Matter have publicly identified as Marxists. Now, do you want to use that to paint the entire movement with a broad brush? Like, I, this would be like looking at the American founding and saying, well, you know, the American founders were slave owners, therefore some of them were. We know, we have the documents. Some of the American founders were slave owners, therefore uh, the whole American freedom movement was about owning slavery and the whole country, America, it, 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 we're all, you know, we all believe in slavery and racism. No, it's just obviously not true. Dangerous logical fallacy. And yet there are people out there whose main message right now, and certainly their main analysis that they're trying to promote about the Black Lives Matter movement is, it's all a bunch of Marxists. And there's really something that is cruel about this, because the majority of people who make up the Black Lives Matter movement just go, yeah, hey, we have a system that operates like black lives don't matter in a lot of ways. I care about that. I like to support people who are doing something for police reform and, and legal reform and ending the drug war and all these things that, you know, reduce the injustice of the world, that reduce the violations of the non-aggression principle out there. And when you present to others who don't know better, oh, they're all just a bunch of Marxists, you are really committing a kind of fraud that is denying those people who are part of the Black Lives Matter movement who aren't Marxists, which as far as I can tell is the majority, you're denying them their individuality. You are saying that because you're a part of a group, I can dismiss your individualism and just project my assumptions about the group onto you. This would be like saying every American agrees with Donald Trump because they're part of his organization of America. Like, no, it's just, it's, it's just such a silly, dangerous, logical fallacy. So 
there there is a fair association. Now, I, there's there's another article uh, that I, I want to reference here from the Foundation for Economic Education. Is the Black Lives Matter is Black Lives Matter Marxist? No, and yes, what the left and right are both getting wrong about Black Lives Matter, and you know th- this is there's a lot of silencing and bullying in this article. Uh, he points out Brad Palumbo, the author, that when Terry Crews was on CNN, Don Lemon, the host, is just like talking over him. It's this, it kind of intellectual bullying in public. I feel so, like I, I kind of felt sorry for Terry Crews. Like Don Don Lemon just invited you on a show to like verbally bully you, you know. And that that's behind a lot of this you know, polarization that people are using Black Lives Matter to promote. So the article says, in 2013, the national outcry over Trayvon Martin's death and George Zimmerman's acquittal sparked a national outcry over racial injustice. Amid this controversy, three activists, Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi, started a hashtag, Black Lives Matter, which soon went viral. They then founded the National Black Lives Matter organization. So the movement was there before the organization. This is a lot of things that people are, are trying to, like, refute my point on Twitter with. A lot of these, you know, I don't know I don't know what to call them. A lot of these, these triggered conservative racists who have been responding to this post, you know, oh, the, the, the organization is behind the – like, they're trying to say it started before the movement. Like, no, it didn't. Like, that's just factually incorrect. I mean, you can – you can interpret this and go, well, they started at the same time. Okay, doesn't matter. Right now, the movement is far bigger than this organization. And to say, well, because two out of the three founders are Marxist, the whole thing, everybody who's a member, like, it's just, the logical twisting that you have to engage in to refute this is, you know, just insane. Like, it's discrediting. People should be embarrassed. You know, you look at the responses to that tweet. So, as uh, you know, conservative commentator Mark Levin said, quoted in the story, Black Lives Matter is an openly Marxist anti-American group. There's no denying it, and it's fully embraced by the Democratic Party and its media and cultural surrogates. Now, and, and there's some confusion here because they named the group after the movement. They just, it's just called Black Lives Matter. There is that primary or one of the main groups organizing with Black Lives Matter. We say group, I got about the movement or the organization. Not very precise language, Mr. Levin. As Republican Rep. Matt Gates tweeted, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist movement. Black Lives Matter is not about police. It's not about race. It's not about justice. It's about making us hate America so they can replace America. Like, uh, no. This is just absolutely wrong. And, and you know what? The people who are doing this are revealing that they're, they're collectivists. They don't view people as individuals. They will dehumanize you as a member of a group. So, I mean, these kinds of, as the article says, these kinds of conservative criticisms of Black Lives Matter are widespread. And on one end, they're right. The official Black Lives Matter organization is Marxist, is anti-American in its values, and its views are rightfully alarming to anyone who believes in the Constitution, capitalism, and civil society as we know it. Well, those are kind of contradictory. The Constitution... Is anti-capitalism, right? Because it creates a authority, an authority that that uh, authorizes taxation and intellectual property and central bank, and then its original form, slavery, and isn't even legal because it was an illegal replacement of the Articles of Confederation, which technically are still 
the legal constitution for the United States of America today, the constitution we live under today is is uh, is uh, was a coup, was contradictory. So you know, is it uh, anti-American? You know, whatever. What is it? Marxist? The organization? Yes, totally. Um, but to, to, again, when when you say that it's a Marxist movement, what you're doing is empowering these Marxists. And and this is you know really dangerous because what you're by using logical fallacies by using lies to paint this entire movement as Marxist, what you're doing is empowering the Marxists. Essentially, you're repeating their lies. And saying that, yeah, we've taken over this movement, we totally control it, and everybody in it thinks like us. Now, what a lot of these conservatives are doing is trying to raise a boogeyman. Be afraid, be afraid of BLM. It's a Marxist movement. And when they do that, they, they're really doing this kind of pandering to their audience. Now, not only are they stoking negative emotions and, and, and using logical fallacies and giving people a distorted worldview, but they are they are also having I think an unintentional counter effect that empowers the Marxists to be more relevant to have more power. The article goes on: a whopping 51 percent of the public tells pollsters they support Black Lives Matter. Most of these people I suspect don't even know that there is an official Black Lives Matter organization, and I'm sure hardly any of them could name Patrice Cullors or Alicia Garza. Whether it's where I'm from in deep blue Massachusetts or where I live now in Washington, D.C., walking by a Black Lives Matter sign sticking out from someone's yard is just about an everyday occurrence. After the death of George Floyd, more of my acquaintances, friends, and relatives than I could count boasted Black Lives Matter. Many others changed their picture to a black square or otherwise signaled their support for the movement. I can personally guarantee you that the vast majority of these people, while liberal, do not support ending capitalism or dismantling the family. Conservatives are led astray as soon as they apply their valid criticism uh, of Black Lives Matter TM, the organization, to the Black Lives Matter movement and its supporters broadly. The article goes on to cover, uh, you know, Mitt Romney actually going to one of their marches as, as an example, and you know, some of their uh, their their feedback, their polite feedback for Senator Romney. And, you know, I'm not a fan. Senator Romney is one of the worst, I mean, most offensive, big government statists. But I will praise him for, on this side, standing on principle and being willing to work with people who he disagrees with on ideology because he agrees with them on addressing this one particular injustice. The Fee article concludes, when Don Lemon took issue with Terry Crews' take on Black Lives Matter, Crews was crystal clear saying, this is the thing, it's a great mantra, it's a true mantra, Black Lives Do Matter. But when you're talking about an organization, you're talking about the leaders, you're talking about the people who are responsible for putting these things together, it's two different things. We need more of that kind of clarity in our discourse. Right now, the debate over Black Lives Matter is muddled and confused, liberals and conservatives alike need to make an effort to listen and understand the other side's perspective, not the straw man caricature of it, used as a punching bag in partisan echo chambers. Until both sides take the time to understand each other, we will keep talking past each other 
and any real progress or harmony will remain a fantasy. Absolutely. And I'm actually really glad that a lot of people are exposing themselves in light of everything that's happening in this conversation around Black Lives Matter as people you shouldn't listen to. People who are motivated by, well, in this case, racism. Yeah, it's a real thing. Now, I'm a big fan of the Avenue Q song. Everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. Doesn't mean we go around committing hate crimes. Okay, I'll stop there. But uh, it's a great song that exposes the sort of silliness of, you know, ah, you're racist, you're racist, you're racist, right? And, and racism, by definition, is just believing that one race is superior to others. And in a sense, you could break that down and go, yeah, everybody's racist, right? And everybody has preferences for people. Um, uh, I like women who look like my wife. She's extremely sexy to me. You know, like she has certain features, characteristics. I, I like that. You know, we all, and, and sexual preferences kind of just prove my point that, yeah, in a sense, everybody's racist. But you, you don't have to break it down that way. And, and, and have that inclusive definition of racism if you can have a precise definition. And, and this idea of, of racism as this nebulous thing, this big just, ah, you don't like people of a different color, you know, or you have this tendency to do this or that. It's become, yeah, a really big, dangerous, obtuse word. And, I, like, again, I don't even like my tweet that went viral for, like, you're using this imprecise, because I don't go around calling people racist. Like, it's not part of my message. I don't, I don't really care. Like, what matters to me is racial hatred. Bigotry, you know, is, is more important. Having a negative assumption of an individual based on their race, that kind of collectivization, that's the dangerous side of racism. Not, you know, and I'm a, I'm a, this is more, like, I'm a fan of Carlos Mencia racist comedy, because it's just, yeah, races are different. We can celebrate that. We can laugh at that. Not a big deal. So, associating BLM with Marxism, why are people going out of their way to slander this whole movement as Marxist when it's clearly not? Probably racism. There's a lot of racism. And by the way, I know I triggered racists on Twitter because a decent chunk of the responses were something like, you freaking Jew. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, freaking kikes run everything. Mm, okay. So, <laughs> to say that this is the racists coming up with an excuse to attack something they already hated, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, a, that's, that's happening. And what really was the triggering of this tweet was, you know, like, why? Because it, it points out a real phenomenon that the people who are doing this are really sensitive about. It, it got them right in the feels. Yeah, they were triggered. And if you, so there are, there is this phenomena of people in America who are racist. And a lot of them, maybe subconsciously, maybe they don't know it. Maybe they're not overt racists. Maybe in an intellectual sense, they can, you know, apply libertarian ethics and say, you know, I would, I would never, you know, use the state or force or coercion to discriminate against an individual based on race. But they do have 
preconceived notions that they want to apply to an entire group of people as a form of collectivization. It's very anti-libertarian, very anti-freedom to see people as members as a group as opposed to being able to see them as, as individuals. And so when they see Black Lives Matter, they go, oh, I don't like that. Inherently, ah, black people standing up for themselves. Ooh, confronting racism, ah, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with that. And, and maybe this is people who, who really are just uncomfortable confronting racism. They're not significantly racist in any way themselves. But they're, they, when, like, when liberals spout their nonsense about white privilege, then you go, yeah, I don't, I don't want, uh, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, okay, fair, you know. But by the way, there there is a real thing as white privilege. A lot of people lie about it, misrepresent it, distort it, and you know, try to, to make it more than it is. But yeah, white privilege is a thing. You want to define it some way, and then oh, a straw man. Well, it's not that. Okay, okay, fine. You, there is a thing. There is a real thing. I've gone to jail and been the only white dude on my cell block. <laughs> white privilege is a thing. So, you know it. They already hate this. They're racist out, and then they go, "Oh well, it's, it's Marxist." They just dismiss it as Marxist. Yeah, and just pointing that out with an imprecise tweet that doesn't even make logical sense really triggered a lot of people. So you know, I had I had, I had a lot of responses to this on Twitter. I've, I've had some fun with the the Twitter mob over the weekend, talking to these people, you know, being uh, you know being nice and compassionate, and you know, really uh, helping them see this bigger picture of why being triggered by this is, is such a bad idea. So I said it in one tweet tonight. I feel the saddest for those who don't understand that people of different worldviews and ideologies can stand together on issues of large social injustice. In fact, large-scale social injustice will never be overcome until people can unite. Don't let them divide us. And that's all I have to say about that. Jim, we got a lot of headlines to get to now. Those are those are my two big opener topics. Uh, I hope those were rich and juicy enough for everybody to sink their teeth into. I suppose it's worth. Uh, well, I do have. I have my my next part of the show that I've got lined up here is a big law enforcement uh, block of uh, let's see two, four, six, eight, nine stories actually about the the current state of law enforcement under coronaphobia in America under this cloud of fear and silliness any any comments any guesses on our contest uh we had a few guesses but i was going to say maybe we should have cj play it one more time because we usually do the answers at the end all right let's play the clip one more time cj i'll have to get that up uh while he's getting that ready there was a couple people in here that are questioning uh the subject matter that we just talked about they said it was similar to what you said in chaz like Associating the leaders to the movement itself, right. you have to separate that. Right. Well, it's it's also playing into their hands. I mean, it, if there's 
like it, it's making it easier for movements to be co-opted and misrepresented when yeah. you use logical fallacies. Those co-opters are taking advantage of the fact that humans, Americans especially, who have been subjected to government-run schools their entire lives, not taught how to think with logic and reason. Literally, like I went. By the way, this was a big deal for me when I became a libertarian. One of my favorite ideas that I came across was the list of logical fallacies. And there are a bunch of different people who, who, who have compiled a list of logical fallacies in different ways. I think there's a couple of Wikipedia articles. There's one really cool infographic that's got, like, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. And, you know, it's, it says, uh, you know, I look at the list of logical fallacies and breaking them all down. And I'm like, why the hell was I, I was in school? I went to college. Nobody taught me this? Like, no, no, I mean, yeah, you could say, well, Adam, you, you had a teacher that said this was wrong and that was wrong. Yeah, but nobody in all of my government-sponsored education ever came out and said, here's how logic and reason works, here's a list of fallacies, and here's how you clearly identify them so you cannot be manipulated by people doing silly shit. Like, like, like you pointed out with Chaz Chop. If, I mean, like, it's just, it, it, I, I'm always tempted when I see this to go the other way. Like, like, I'm going to join the Republican Party and say that I'm a bigoted, racist, KKK member, and I'm going to run for office so that people can say, look, the Republican Party is all a bunch of racist KKK members. Like, no, it only works for bad things. It doesn't, it, 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 like, I don't know, maybe, maybe someone in the Congress of Fun thought exercise, you know, but, like, where would there be a good way to apply these things? You know, dishonest infiltration tactics. Of course, yeah, you can infiltrate any organization that's doing bad things and stop them from doing bad things. It's justified. But, you know, is it effective? I don't know. Uh, CJ, clip, please. All right. Uh, again, the contest is uh, who is saying this, what is he talking about, and the tiebreaker is the date. Because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones... <laughs> Man, if you know the historical context for this, and how, like... This is this is kind of personal for, for us here <laughs> as veterans. You know. Oh yeah, especially. Should I give Should I give people another little for those of us who were deployed in the war on terror? Excuse me, the global war of terror. This particular statement has a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I want to say painful resonance, but it's kind of like I'm laughing at it because I got that Marine Corps whistle past the graveyard sense of humor, even in retrospect here. But, uh, yeah, it's a great quote, Cliff. Thank you for bringing that up, CJ. Jim, before we launch into this law enforcement block, any other comments you want to bring up? Is, is anybody in our audience, like, disagreeing with me on this point? Like, I, you know... I, uh, that, that, person mostly, yeah, that we that we should be painting the BLM movement as a whole as Marxist because of 
two leaders and, 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 and like a certain, you know, block of it. Oh, th- there was one other point I left out of that. When I was and, – and, CJ, when we flip this, I actually want you to include this. When I was organizing with Iraq Veterans Against the War, I was in the minority of libertarians in that organization and in the anti-war movement as a whole. And the main organizers of the big rallies in the anti-war movement were communists, open communists. It was the organization Answer, Act Now, Stop War, and Racism. They were communists, and this is our organization where we include people of various political ideologies to work to Act Now, Stop War, and Racism. And I'm like, well, you know, end racism. You've heard my definition of racism. It's kind of a silly thing. You know, we're going to stamp out racism. Okay, whatever. But you you want your coming together, defining it your way with noble intents. I'm not going to join, but I'm going to work with you to stop the war because they're organizing anti-war rallies. And back then we heard conservatives who were pro-war who were afraid to come out as pro-war and say, well, you're wrong as a veteran who saw the horror of war firsthand, who understands not just from that experience, but reason and logic that the war in Iraq is a bad idea. Instead of coming out and saying that, we're just going to attack you for hanging out with leftists. Really? How come you're, are you anti-war? Why don't you not avoid the topic here and actually refute refute the central argument instead of this logical fallacy of guilt by association, of attack the messenger, of discredit by guilt by association. Like, no, it's ridiculous. I'm so glad that the movement didn't fall for it then. That libertarians were smart enough to go like, uh, no, this is war. People are dying. This is, this is uh, yeah, we're, we're anti-war. And just because Marxists are anti-war, doesn't mean we're not going to be anti-war because we're not Marxists or communists, whatever. And if, if that divide and conquer had been effective for the anti-war movement, I mean, and they tried. This is a disingenuous, deceitful, fraudulent, anti-intellectual bullying tactic used by people who want to justify government policy that is unjustifiable. Don't refute the central argument. Use all these other logical fallacies and try to keep people divided. It's, it's really shameful. And if, it, if in, the, in the days of the anti-war movement it had worked, we might still have, you know, we might have never had a even partial withdrawal from Iraq. It's, it's, it, it really is a disgusting, shameful phenomena of American politics that you see this uh, application of logical fallacies, guilt by association, uh, to promote divisiveness and keep people from working together to fight large-scale injustice. But what was Draco's point? <laughs> uh, well, basically just saying that they're that the leaders themselves say they're Marxists. So he's saying, how, do, how can you not draw the conclusion that the movement is Marxist? But, I mean, I feel like you've made it pretty well, clear. Yeah, I, I think I addressed that. Like, what I'd like to say about it is, I feel like any group that gets together and starts making any kind of change, then another group is going to, like, take it over, be create leaders, create organizations. Yeah, same thing with the Tea Party. Right. 
and you know, and it, occupy uh, the occupy Wall Street or whatever. Same thing happened with them. It you, started as just a really big thing that was saying screw the state and things are wrong, and then some official people came in and organized it, yeah. and that's when it turned into a bunch of bullshit, pointless crap. Yeah, you know? no, I mean, you, you see it with the the rioters too. And if you know, I mean, if you don't know what COINTELPRO is, look up COINTELPRO. And I gotta say, it, it is it is really unsympathetic towards this movement and to black America as a whole to not acknowledge, I don't mean to say, the entire racist history of America, because that's a horse that's been beaten to death, but just the, the history of black activism in America and COINTELPRO and Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And COINTELPRO is the FBI program from the 60s and 70s, primarily established to render the anti-war and Black Panther movements ineffective. And a lot of black activists were set up for assassination by cop by FBI agents in the 60s and 70s. You think they can't hire someone to sneak into your movement and throw a brick? I mean, it really is just a, a, a reflection of a shameful bootlicking mentality that when you see people standing up to authority, you don't give them the benefit of the doubt, but you give that benefit of the doubt to the authorities. It's disgusting. All right, let's move on. Um, so for law enforcement in America today, there are a number of stories that we need to bring together to paint a comprehensive picture of what's going on. So let's just jump right into it, starting with the flashpoint of Oregon. First story from Yahoo.com, Financial Times, Democrats seek probe into secret police force in Oregon. Senior Democratic lawmakers have called for inquiries into the Trump administration's use of federal law enforcement officers to quell protests in Oregon, saying the administration did not have unfettered authority to crack down on peaceful demonstrations. The request from Jerry Nadler, the Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and Carolyn Maloney, who chairs the House Oversight Committee, came after local officials in Oregon accused the Trump administration of using unlawful and abhorrent tactics in Portland, the state's largest cities. Now, this story focuses on the political stuff, uh, but it, you can there's footage of this, like, all over the place, and it's, it's genuinely frightening. And, and this is something everybody should be concerned with, it's really sad to see that there. I don't know if this is trolls, infiltrators, you know, go and tell pro sock puppet accounts, whatever. But they're people trying to defend this, saying that they're locking up terrorists. And it's like, no, these are men in full camouflage, commando uniforms, with rifles, no name tapes, no patches identifying organizations driving in unmarked vehicles, snagging protesters off the streets. Plenty of clear video footage of this. They're doing this openly. I'd say in broad daylight, but all the clips I've seen have been at night. And, you know, this is, like, you should be really scared that this is, this is happening. Just as a matter of due process and justice, like, this is not how law enforcement works in a, in a free society, in a society that, cares anything about justice. And to justify this, we have actually seen law enforcement come out and saying, well, they're, they're, we're just getting people who are making graffiti. 
Really? CJ's got the perfect clip pulled up here. Unmarked gray van. And someone with a camera actually going after them saying, can you identify yourself? You can see them grabbing people. Not <clears throat> not like proper arrest procedures, nothing like that. I, I don't know if, if this even needs to be said, but I would rather see graffiti on every street in America than secret police on one of them. This is a, a whole other level of police state that the government is using the current crises as the excuse for. As uh, CJ has pulled up on here from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, CBP agents, Customs and Border Patrol, had information indicating the person in the video was suspected of assaults against federal agents or destruction of federal property. One CBP, one CBP agents approached the suspect, a large and violent mob moved towards their location. For everyone's safety, CBP agents quickly moved the suspect to a safer location for further questioning. Now, this might be believable if government wasn't, you know, constantly, totally full of shit. But no, in this case, if we didn't have the reports, the proof that the people they're detaining are being questioned and released. They don't have any legal grounds to hold them, but they're just, they're terrorists. They're destroying federal, really? And that somehow justifies this? Again, it's like, even if it were true, well, 9-11 was committed by 19 hijackers, therefore we need to invade Iraq and Afghanistan for, 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 for decades. Well, there are protesters destroying federal property, so uh, we really need to have secret militarized police snagging random people off the street. And yeah, we know from the nature of this that it's random. If you go to my Twitter, you can see something even more directly offensive where we see a, a protester. He's standing in the middle of an intersection. He's wearing a Navy sweatshirt. And, and these, these goons come up and just start beating him with a baton and pepper spraying him. And he's just, this guy's, by the way, he's a badass. Find it on my Twitter, twitter.com slash at Adam Kokesh. They're, and he's just like standing there. There's, there's like a guy coming whacking him in the leg with a baton. And he's just taking it like it, like he's a statue. And he's like, and then he, he gets pepper sprayed in the face and he turns around and he, he flips him off and just like calmly walks away. He's wearing a garment military sweatshirt, this navy across it. And you're like, wow. Yeah, you, this is, this is America today. So now we go to the intercept.com. Homeland Security worries COVID-19 masks are breaking. Facial recognition leaked document shows while doctors and politicians still struggle to convince Americans to take the barest of precautions against COVID-19 by wearing a mask. Yeah, they're struggling because a lot of us don't believe the lies and faulty science behind that. The Department of Homeland Security has an opposite concern, according to an intelligence note found among the blue leaks trove of law enforcement documents. Masks are breaking police facial recognition and this is great. Like the government, they, they kind of screwed this up. Honestly, the, the the powers that be that want facial recognition to be a thing, 
Well, sorry, from now until the end of time, wearing a mask in public is, I don't know, maybe not until the end of time. At least for the new normal period that we're in right now, it's never going to be a problem for someone to be wearing a mask in public. Whereas we showed you that video last week, Jim Fallis, just in February, wearing a mask is a felony offense that we're going to threaten you with arrest over. Yeah, that happened to somebody for wearing a, wearing a mask uh, to keep them their face warm. Police approached them and threatened to arrest them for felony. The rapid global spread and persistent threat of the coronavirus has presented an obvious roadblock to facial recognition, similar global expansion. Suddenly, everyone is covering their faces, even in ideal conditions, facial recognition technologies often struggle with accuracy and have a particularly dismal uh, track record when it comes to identifying faces that aren't white or male. So, I mean, it's, and by the way, yeah, people are being falsely arrested based on erroneous facial recognition. Some municipalities startled by the civil liberties implications of inaccurate and opaque software in the hands of unaccountability and unaccountable and overly aggressive police have begun banning facial recognition software outright, but the global pandemic may have inadvertently provided a privacy fix of its own or for police a brand new crisis. Yeah. Anyway, we go to New York next. And thank you for jamming our telegram chat uh, for bringing this to our attention. New York State Liquor Authority guidance on requirement that licenses with on-premises service privileges serve food with alcoholic beverages. I Is there a study that says if you eat food with your alcohol, Corona can't touch you? Like, I'm like, what, what, what? Just an ex- another excuse for more government orders pursuant, this is by the way, effective Friday, July 17, 2020, pursuant to Executive Order 202.52, effective Friday, July 17, 2020, all licensed establishments with on-premises privileges, e.g. restaurants, taverns, manufacturers with tasting rooms, etc., shall not serve alcoholic beverages unless such alcoholic beverage is accompanied by the purchase of a food item which is consistent with the food availability requirement under uh, of the license under the alcoholic beverage control law. And this is this is from ny.gov, the, the official government website, the liquor authority, this is SLA. .ny.gov State Liquor Authority Now there's something really offensive about this that like you should have already been offended by Serving food to another human being on your own property well, it's not really your own property, as we'll see. Is a privilege. You don't have a right to do that. It's a government-granted privilege for you to serve food to another person on your property. On-premises privileges. Really. 
The State Liquor Authority offers the following guidance. This guidance applies to all licensed on-premises establishments apart from those which do not require food as a condition of licensure, i.e. clubs and bottle clubs. In addition, it applies to all licensed manufacturing establishments with on-premises service privileges. This guidance supersedes and therefore modifies the authority's guidance on restrictions for licensees and to-go and delivery sales in response to COVID-19 outbreak to the extent that off-premises beer or cider sales must now be accompanied by a food item which is consistent with the food availability requirement of the license under the Alcoholic Beverage Control Law. All other provisions of such guidance remain in full force and effect, including the ability of on-premises licensees to sell alcohol to go with the purchase of food consistent with... Ah, all right. So, <laughs> this is really just absurd on its face for so many reasons, but in terms of the even immediate application of this, all right, free pretzel with every purchase of a beer. You happy now? Or, like, included, included in your purchase of a beer at its current price, we're, we're, we're going to charge you $0.10 cents for a pretzel but reduce all of the prices for all the liquor by ten cents, and you, we have to we have to hand you a pretzel with your beer. Like, like just it's it's like even the mask thing. People don't remember this enough, but there are medical conditions where specifically wearing a mask provides a, a, a unique health threat. And I'm pretty sure in a lot of the state, all the state executive orders, I don't know, maybe they have some footnote about this, or there's some other law that would say, you know, you're exempt. Right? So this is why businesses are putting up these signs. Government governor orders all businesses must require their customers to wear masks in the state. So the business order, the business owner puts up a sign that says, uh, under government orders, you're required to wear a mask in the store. However, if you have a pre-existing health condition that XYZ, we were not going to require you to wear a mask, and we're not going to ask. And, and by the way, because of health privacy laws, we're not going to ask. We're not allowed to ask what your medical condition is. And if you're not wearing a mask, we will just welcome your business in the store. But what's scary about this is that law enforcement, I mean, being government means never having to say you're sorry. To someone who doesn't know this, they're going to be able to use this as an excuse to harass business owners to shut people down. And if nothing else, it's still like, oh, we have to serve a pretzel with every beer. It's like one more thing. It's not enough that we have all these other regulations and licensing guidelines that we have to comply with or you're going to literally come in and force us to shut down. You're going to violate our constitutional, basic human rights to to feed each other, to take care of ourselves, to, to run a business, to do what I want with my own property. You're just, yeah, yeah. They have new excuses. It's going to be messy. So now we go to the Daily Beast. Contact tracing might become cops' newest surveillance tool, surveillance tool and excuse to harass people across the board. 
the label here is really deep state. By the way, is it fair enough now? Remember Trump's slogans, lock her up, build the wall, drain the swamp? Is it fair to call people who think that that's happening or going to happen conspiracy theorists now? Yeah. Because it's not happening. None of those things. She didn't get locked up. The wall isn't built. The swamp has been deepened by all of the ways that Trump is growing government. He's the one who declared the national state of emergency. He bears a huge part of the responsibility for the tyranny that we're experiencing now. Just being a narcissistic liar (laughs) wasn't enough for people. So, yeah, I love the label here. Really deep state. By definition, contact tracers have to ask people sometimes intimate and difficult questions. What if that information can somehow be used against them? Well, it can. And this is really a a dangerous precedent. But we are at the point now, and this is why I feel like, you know, a sort of journalistic responsibility as the host of Adam versus the man to tell you about this. You know, when we talk about don't talk to cops, right? If I was presenting just an accurate worldview in general and it didn't include, hey, don't talk to cops, what you can and say, what what you say can and will be used against you. Uh, you know, hey, am I being detained? Am I free to go? Leave. And I don't mean don't talk to cops, like dehumanize them, but in confrontational situations where they're on duty, yeah, you, you speak to them as minimally as possible. Excuse me, I'd rather not talk to you, sir. Am I free to go? Well, now, yeah, you got to apply the same logic to talking to contact tracers. And assume that anything you tell them is public information because they will be sharing that information with law enforcement. They already have. By the time you finish reading this article, another American will be dead from COVID-19. And three minutes later, another and then another. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't know you were a liar. Faced with a tidal wave of death unparalleled in modern history. Yeah, I'll call you out by name, Albert Foxconn. Faced with a tidal wave, okay, so you might not be a liar, you might be a useful idiot, excuse me, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt here. Faced with a tidal wave of death unparalleled in modern history, we are rushing to put in place the public health solutions to track, trace, and treat the virus. Okay, I I mean, I'm starting to take a slight detour from the point of of sharing the story with you to call out some more propaganda that's really just obvious. And and this this is really shameful. Um, you know, because and, and part of the premise of this article is is trying to get you to go along with this dangerous policy. And a, a tidal wave of death unparalleled in modern history? Has this guy heard of World War II? Like, is that... Did, did, Maybe he went to a government school and instead of, like, ensuring that he had an understanding of history, he just, like, you know, missed that day of class where they talked about World War II or that, that week. I don't know. And, and then just, yeah, it just wasn't, like, a tidal wave of death unparalleled. Oh, not modern enough for you? Civilian deaths in Iraq and Afghanistan? No, 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 forget that. No, when government 
when government kills people, they deserve to die, and they weren't really people either, so who cares? We only care about deaths that serve our political agenda at the Daily Beast, apparently. Uh, but as we've already seen, rush solutions carry a higher price than expected as states look to expand the most crucial part of this public health effort, contact tracing. Both stakes couldn't be higher, and unless we change course, America will hurdle to a public health disaster. That much is, you know, really, who the hell is this guy? Albert Fox Khan. I'll bet he's someone who wouldn't come on this show if we invited him. Because he's a propagandist. Like, we're, I mean, I don't know if he's a useful idiot. Again, you can give him the benefit of the doubt, but when you say that, you know, a natural phenomenon is really bad and ignore all the government-created phenomena that are worse, again, you could be a useful idiot, but it really looks like you're trying to hide if not at least seriously diminish the significance of the evil of government. Ideally, local and state contact tracers should reach out to every COVID-19 patient, asking about every person they've come into contact with for the past two weeks in the hands of public health officials. This intimate data is absolutely necessary and will save lives. Bullshit. But if the same information is obtained by law enforcement agencies and ICE. It won't just undermine our most important rights. It will set back the efforts to combat COVID-19. Well, that's that's all good and well. But Albert, okay, it's not good and well, excuse me. But, you know, Albert Fox Con here, uh, you know, is, like we, we only want good, kind tyranny. We don't want the evil tyranny that, you know, if it's, you know, law enforcement and ICE. Yeah, they're going to use this to deport people. Your fear-mongering an empowerment of government, Mr. Khan, is hurting people and getting people killed. Specifically, with suicides, we can count the deaths. But even in a bigger way here, what you are doing is diverting resources from where they could go to address big problems to address a small problem. You're dying of cancer and you go to the doctor and he says, well, hold on, I see you've got an ingrown toenail. Let me deal with that first. That's a priority. Oh, hey, what the hell? I'm dying of cancer here. Why are you worried about my ingrown toenail? You, you kind of have to wonder. Maybe, maybe the doctor's getting some... Uh, Kickbacks from the Toe Fungus Tree Manufacturers Association or something like that, right? You know, you know what is it with it? Who's profiting from this? But I don't want to see people die because this kind of fear-mongering propaganda works. And if you think this isn't relevant to your immediate situation, think again. Our next story from The Sun we did nothing wrong. Coronavirus infected couple put under house arrest and forced to wear ankle monitors after refusing to stay home. Holy crap. Yeah, we're there. But it wasn't, it, even this headline isn't accurate. 
The coronavirus-infected couple has been put under house arrest and forced to wear ankle monitors after refusing to stay home. Elizabeth and Isaiah Linscott said personnel from the health department and sheriff's office showed up at their Kentucky home after she declined to sign a self-quarantine order. Now, it wasn't that she refused to stay home. It was that she refused to sign this order. The story actually explains just how deceptive its own headline is. The woman underwent a voluntary test for COVID-19 before going to her parents in Michigan and found out she was positive but did not have any symptoms. Now, the sad thing about the way this is being handled in a way that violates individual rights is that it's going to discourage people from getting tested. And if this is a real pandemic that justifies increased testing, and I, I think it is, right? Yeah, why not? We get testing out there, put people at, at ease, give people that, that information. And by the way, the whole, are you going to stand in line? Like, No, all of this is absurdly unnecessary. As I showed you months ago, I was able to get an at-home test kit that was just a, a finger prick blood test. So she's doing it. She voluntarily got tested because she wanted to be able to know and protect people, not, not expose people. If a consequence of that is we're going to limit your freedom, people are going to be a lot less inclined to do that. She said she chose not to sign. Okay, so the health department then contacted Elizabeth and requested that she signed documents that would restrict her travel unless she called the department first. She said she chose not to sign the documents because of one sentence. Quote, I will not travel by any public, commercial, or health care conveyance such as ambulance, bus, taxi, airplane, train, or boat without the prior approval of the Department of Health. As Elizabeth said, quote, my part was if I have to go to the ER, if I have to go to the hospital, I'm not going to wait for the approval to go. No shit. She said that she would let workers know that she had tested positive in the event that she needed to go to the hospital. Officials from the Hannon County Sheriff's Department arrived at the couple's house days later without warning to the surprise of husband Isaiah. I opened up the door, and there's like eight different people, five different cars, and I'm like, what the heck's going on? This guy's in a suit with a mask. He's a health department guy in three different papers. First for me, her, and my daughter. The couple must now wear ankle monitors, and cops will be notified if they travel more than 200 feet. You know, and it's not just that. Wearing an ankle monitor in and of itself is a sense. You might think, oh, it's just the inconvenience. Yeah, okay, well, you have to plug it in. And I, I wore an ankle monitor when I was on probation for the uh, shotgun action in D.C. And I had no restrictions. They just needed to know where I was at all times. I had to plug it in every night for I forget how long. They showering with it, it's, it's it's not just like annoying and a minor inconvenience, it's uncomfortable and slightly painful. You can't wear certain shoes and, and or, or boots, whatever, like it's, it's not, it's a punishment in and of itself. Elizabeth was perplexed regarding how the events unfolded. We didn't rob a store, we didn't steal anything, we didn't hit and run, we didn't do anything wrong. The couple said they never denied self-quarantining at their home in Radcliffe, Kentucky. They just didn't agree with how the documents were worded. 
That's exactly what the director of public health, the public health department told the judge, that I was refusing to self-quarantine because of this and that was not the case at all. All she was doing was asserting her right to leave her home in an emergency without government permission. Of course, the story has to include the latest fear-mongering statistics based on what we know to be false data. New coronavirus infection surge in Kentucky by 979 on Sunday. The highest single-day increase bringing the total number of cases in the state to 23,161, according to Kentucky.com. Yeah, this is kind of a rubber-meets-the-road moment for America. Yeah, this virus is now directly being used as an excuse to lock you in your home, not ask you to stay in your home. The violent force of government is being threatened against people for not complying with their policies based on faulty science as an excuse to increase government power. Now, for a little uplifting note, we go back to Portland. Richard Reed, LA Times by Yahoo.com. Out of Portland tear gas, an apparition emerges, capturing the imagination of protesters. She emerged as an apparition from clouds of tear gas as federal agents fired pepper balls at angry protesters in the early Saturday darkness. A woman wearing nothing but a black face mask and a stocking cap strode toward a dozen heavily armed agents attired in camouflage fatigues lined up across a downtown Portland street. <clears throat> The agents dispatched by the Trump administration over vociferous objections of state and city officials are part of a force that has fired projectiles at and detained activists protesting nightly since the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police May 25. Numerous photos and videos posted on Twitter show the unidentified woman as she halted in the middle of the street at about 1.45 a.m. She stood calmly a surreal image of human vulnerability in the face of an overpowering force that has been criticized nationally by civil rights advocates. The agents in gas masks and helmets continued firing pepper balls in the staccato pop, pop, pop heard on video aiming low at the asphalt where puffs of smoke mingled with clouds of gas. At one point, a fellow protester clothed Carrying a homemade shield darted in front of the woman, angling to protect her. But the woman sidestepped him. He jumped out of the way, perhaps realizing that he made them both a target. Before it was over, she struck ballet poses and reclined on the street. She also sat on the asphalt in a yoga-like position facing officers before they left. Portland has long been loved or mocked for its streak of earnest but quirky organic earthiness, as portrayed in the Portlandia television comedy series. Sometimes the envelope-pushing forms of expression involve nudity. Isn't that sad that in 2020, nudity is still considered pushing the envelope? 
And there are a lot of other intersecting topics that I could deconstruct in this conversation here. But I'll just say sexual suppression is a real problem in the world still. Especially in developed countries with government propaganda schools, indoctrination centers. Children made to feel ashamed of their bodies and sexuality. There is a huge cloud of shame and guilt hanging over American sexuality today. And I'm, I'm really kind of disappointed on how little progress we've made on this, at least since I became an activist. Not that it's been my thing to combat sexual, sexual repression, but it is an important one as it relates to freedom. Because the shame and guilt that they have foisted on us is based on a lot of logical fallacies psychological manipulation that makes us easier to keep oppressed and exploited. If you can be made to be uncomfortable with your own body, you can be made to be uncomfortable with your own mind, your own worldview, your politics, you can't just be comfortable in your own skin as a fully self-actualized human adult. We have laws on the books that are actually still in force that breastfeeding in public is not allowed in some places. Not only is that just anti-freedom, anti-mother, anti-baby, it is a sick expression of our sexual repression expressed through the violence of government policy. And because of that, this is a powerful protest. How jarring and disarming for police on the scene to see this. What an incredible act of vulnerability. And yes, yeah, sadly, in sexually repressed America, you couldn't do this if you have a penis. <laughs> Sorry. Right? You know, because... What's a, what's a naked, exposed vagina symbolizing even to the most oppressed and twisted of, of sexual deviants? It's openness. It's receptiveness. It's fertility. It's a baby maker, right? What's a penis? That's a rape tool. <laughs> you know, like, sorry. You know, and, and I don't, I, yeah, yeah, there's, I'm not, like, trying to be some kind of rape alarmist or anything like that. But, no, yeah, there's a certain inherent in our biology element of initiation, of aggression with a penis that just, yeah, just doesn't really go with the vagina. Which is why this is so beautiful and powerful. And, I, you know, I, I'm not saying men should go out and do this. I think that would be ill-advised. I would like to see a world where men could do this. Although, if that was the case, we probably wouldn't... Like, if men were comfortable with their sexualities, they wouldn't be dressing up in camo and riot gear to control protesters, right? A lot of this stems from male sexual insecurity. Yeah, we could do a whole show just on that. I'll, I'll, I'll stop that sidebar right here. But for women in today's society... Yeah, this is a really powerful protest and symbol. 
The woman making her statement Saturday was altogether uninhibited. At one point, standing on one leg and raising her arms in an arc-type motion. As she struck ballet poses, a patrol car arrived, and a dozen officers in blue uniforms replaced the line of agents, whom officials described as having been targeted by protesters throwing rocks, bottles, and pieces of metal. She sat in the street facing them, legs spread in the highlights glare. I love this. You want to beat people up because you've never seen one of these? Fuck you! Look at my pussy! Good for you, lady. Yeah. Good for you. Now, if you don't think this is a big deal, like, let's let's go to Minnesota for a second here. Skipping ahead to fastcompany.com, Minnesota cops use drones to spot nude beachgoers. Yeah! Hello? This is another part of the police state today. Let's suppress nudity, even where it's generally accepted. You go to the beach, you're not like, you know, walking around, waving your dick in people's faces. You're sunning in, well, maybe not you, but uh, people who don't have that sexual body shaming insecurity, some of us like to sun nude every now and then. And when we do, we're generally laying down naked not running around waving privates in people's faces, right? This is about as benign nudity as you can get on the beach. And what are they doing? They're using drones because of complaint. That's their excuse. Well, we had, a, we had, a, we had an anonymous complaint that someone was naked in, in, in this vicinity. And so, by the way, another intersection with this story. Minnesota. Nudity. Racism. The police started using drones after they stopped confronting people in person. And when they did confront people in person, there was backlash and other people at the beach went, hey, what are you doing here? What's their response? People at the beach also accused police of singling out black beachgoers Approaching them first and pushback from the crowd ultimately made the officers leave, according to the report. Now, Golden Valley Police Department Sergeant Randy Mullins said, well, we made the choice that things were only escalating. We chose to leave. You're the ones escalating everything, cops. Really? Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And I'm not talking about the average person that you see at a new beach's body. No, the police here are the ones being disgusting. Why do they go to black people first? Well, the crowd's going to, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna rally around white people first. Black people are, you know, they tend to be poor. They tend to be you know, less connected to, to people around them. They, they tend to have less legal protection. We'll go after them first. Now, those cops might not actually be racist. Got to point this out. Systemic racism can be enacted by people who are not racist. If I was a cop, and, and, and even, even rashly acknowledging the racism of, of other people might lead me to take an action that is discriminatory or prejudiced. If I see two people committing a crime, one's white, one's black, 
And for whatever reason of circumstance, you know, maybe, uh, you know, there's a crowd of racist white people. They just use a very, very, very inappropriate cliche, right? If I go and I stop the white person and I know that this racist mob is going to attack me if I arrest the right white person first, I'm going to go and attack the, or arrest the black person first. If I go and arrest the black guy and then I can go to the white criminal and say, hey, you know what, i got to be fair. I arrested the black guy for doing this thing. Now I have to arrest you. Now I'm not going to get attacked by the mob. Simple as that. So, you know, again, benefit of the doubt here, systemic racism does not necessarily actually imply racism of individuals. Now, we can go to the Wall Street Journal. Violent crime surges in Atlanta amid rising unemployment, tensions over policing. A recent wave of violent crime has roiled the city of Atlanta, amplifying tensions in a community still reeling from the coronavirus pandemic and a debate over policing and race. Now, the mainstream media wants you to blame this on the lack of police presence. But as we have pointed out numerous times on the show, if you understand that police are criminals most of the time, and anytime they are enforcing a victimless crime law, they are doing something criminal. If they arrest you for consuming a drug that you, they don't like or that the law says is wrong, and you don't have any victims, you're not hurting anybody, then you are the victim, which means they are the criminal. That is <clears throat> important to keep in mind when, they, when the media tries to lie to you and say violent crime is up. No, when cops are less present, by them not arresting people for victimless crime laws, <clears throat> violence is way down. And to whatever extent we're seeing an increase in violence on the streets now or from individuals, a lot of it's not because there aren't police there. You know, when seconds count, police are just minutes away. It's not like, hey, I didn't rob a liquor store today or yesterday, but I'm robbing it today because there are less police on the streets. No. Still, or I'm not going to steal for my neighbor because there are less police. No, you could have still gotten away with all that stuff just as well. There's an increased desperation because the government imposed forced unemployment crisis that we're experiencing today. So, back to the beautiful, police-repelling power of vaginas. Later, she rolled on her back in a graceful pose, then stood again. The second group of officers, who may have been either Portland police or federal agents, also left. In all, the woman's appearance lasted about 15 minutes. News photographers said she slipped away, uninjured, into the crowd. Images of her on social media hark back to previous iconic but clothed images juxtaposing force and vulnerability, such as the 1967 photo of a Vietnam War protester who faced a line of U.S. troops and placed a carnation into the barrel of a soldier's rifle. In an ultimate act of defiance broadcast worldwide, a man stood in front of a column of tanks leaving Beijing's Tiananmen Square on June 5, 1989, a day after the Chinese military it suppressed protests by force. Nudity has also served as a form of protest since at least the 11th century when legend holds 
that Lady Godiva rode naked, veiled only by her long hair and horse through Coventry, England, to protest oppressive taxation. On Twitter, sympathetic commentators were quick to conclude that naked Athena, as they dubbed the Portland protester, caused the officers to turn tail, but the reason for their departure is not clear from a review of multiple images. Federal officials and police did not comment on the woman. Really? You're that sexually suppressed? That even as a law enforcement officer doing your job, under color of law, you can't talk about a vagina in public? Really? So, to the bigger point here, there is an important moment in history where the divine feminine is in a position to put toxic masculinity in check. And I use that term very precisely with my own definition. There are a lot of SKWs who want to think that a lot of the divine masculine is toxic. And screw them because they are contributing to sexual repression. But there is an element of the statism, the tyranny, the violence that we are seeing in the world today that is a clear distortion, perversion of not female, but male energy. And when the natural tendency of men, that divine masculine tendency to protect, to provide, to even be ready for violence, is led to serve the bootlickers, the politicians, the violence of government, to contradict the positive objectives of divine masculinity and it leads to violations of the non-aggression principle, I think that's a pretty fair thing to label with toxic masculinity. And there is a powerful opportunity for the divine feminine to call this male energy back to its purposes as divine masculinity. It's a beautiful story despite everything that's happening today. And I think this is the underlying positive trend that is coming to the deeper paradigm shift that we're experiencing right now. But there's one more thing. Really, if women want to do this, stop fucking cops. Seriously. Stop fucking cops. It's like that thing, you know, if you go to someone's apartment and you don't see any books, don't fuck them. Now, you can have books digital now, so it doesn't really apply anymore. But, yeah, if you're on a date with someone and you find out that they're a cop, fucking leave! 
Stop fucking cops. I guarantee you, if every cop in America was told by their, their spouse, yeah, it's mostly men and mostly women, oh, yeah, they're female cops too. Say, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna keep working for the state, if you're gonna keep working for government, I'm not gonna fuck you anymore. You don't deserve my feminine love. If you're so gonna pervert your masculine energy to do this evil of serving government, fuck you. I'm not gonna fuck you. And if only all in women's power. Everything I've said today, all the evil in the world. The government is responsible for if women decided they want to put an end to it tomorrow. Yeah, they could. It's not just cops. Soldiers, if every woman in the world say you join the military, you're not going to get laid. Unfortunately, government propaganda convinces a lot of women that men who join the military uh, should be rewarded for doing something so reckless and naive, ignorant, and destructive as as saying I'm going to kill for politicians. But there are a lot of uh, you know, other people who this would apply to. It's all in your hands, women. Use the power of the pussy. We can put an end to this evil. All right, I didn't, ex- I didn't even notice we hit 11 o'clock. Uh, I'm sorry to go over time, but, yeah, that whole news block of all the police state stuff, really important stuff. We're going to get to your comments in the contest before we wrap things up today. But first, a little purview of headlines that we've added today. We're going to get to, uh, well, I didn't get to the, the, the drone, the Colorado drone mystery. I, we're definitely going to keep that on the queue. Um, headline I saw today, Daily Mail, is the U.S. creating the first military space station. Pentagon moves to design a mini orbital outpost for government experiments. And now this was the story I was going to read. Pentagon moves to design uh, many, was it, oh wait, no, they changed it. There was a, wait a second. Excuse me. Holy crap. They changed the headline for this story. It was Pentagon awards firm contract to build mini space station. On my tab that has not refreshed of the Google headline search that I did for this story, because I saved the Google search as a tab so I could show that all these headlines are really distorting the reality, or, you know, I mean, just there's this basic propaganda element that the Pentagon is doing this, the military is doing this, the government is doing this to keep you safe. No, they ordered a firm a contract. The military is just moving money here. Like, that's it. They're taking money from the taxpayer and spending it on this and that. Like, it's mini space station lab. All right. Well, we're going to get to that. It's a pretty important one. Um, From Forbes, the Fed is going to buy stocks. Fascism. The merging of the corporations and the state. Oh, another uh, little scientific footnote update from LegalInsurrection.com. Connecticut. I guess we can just cover this real quick and get it out of the way. Connecticut pathologists' study shows CDC coronavirus test kits generate 30% false positive results. Serious implications for this. Other issues with the COVID count include motorcycle fatality classified as COVID-19 death road. Island reporting 113 false positive results in Florida 
Labs lacking negative COVID-19 results. Yeah. Jim, did you notice the Kanye West story today? No. Apparently Kanye is uh, losing his shit. Wild campaign appearance. Uh, apparently he was just running for office to uh, to sell albums. We're going to get into this tomorrow. There's a fun video. Um, mystery of Ghislaine Maxwell's, uh, I don't know, do we want, we might get into Ghislaine Maxwell, but that's not, not news. Um, and confirmation of what we expected to be happening earlier, right? We saw the panic selling in real estate, in commercial real estate in particular, as businesses are being shut down, but also in uh, home sales. And, uh, I suspected it's, Another pretty big I told you so, right? Because we did I said this before we had the data that rural prices for homes and land were going to go up. Well, now it is uh, right here on NBCNews.com. Rural real estate prices rise as people consider leaving cities. The virus is impacting how we spend money, how we shop, and perhaps even where we want to live. I mean, kind of obvious. If you want help buying land out here rurally, let me know. Then there's another fun story how one couple has lived for 29 years on an island. They built themselves. I'm going to get into that more. We're not going to get to the good news today. But uh, with that, we go to your comments. And uh, do we do we have – do we want to play the clip? Uh, let's, let's, play the, let's play this clip before we go to the comments. Let's play the clip first. And remember, for this contest today, you get to win a producer club membership worth $10 a month. You get added to our Telegram group and exclusive Patreon access. And uh, there is a tiebreaker series of questions for this clip. As CJ proposed, the speaker, location, year, or date. Uh, but, yeah, whoever can be most specific about this. But I, I, I can give the two wrong answers while he's picking All right, let's go. We got two wrong answers. Zoe, they're both basically the same. Zoe Jane and uh, Gaia. Zoe Jane said, no unknowns, LOL. That dude from uh, Boondock. <laughs> okay. And Gaia or Gia said it's a quote from an episode of Boondocks on Adult Swim. So I'm wondering if they did something similar, but that wasn't what this one was, so. Yeah, no, I mean, hmm. All right, CJ, let's let's hear the clip one more time. Give our, so, so, we have, we have some writing. But we're waiting, waiting for time break. Right. 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 Something that more happened are always interesting to me because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. <laughs> CJ, we play a little more of that. There, do you have more than that clip? No, is that, okay, that, well, all right, so, with that being said, who won our contest today, Jim? Uh, well, her, H-E-R-R-F-R-A-U, said Rumsfeld. Wait, wait, H-E-R-R-F-A-R-U, that's Herrfrau. Herrfrau. German, yeah. Okay, Herrfrau said Rumsfeld. He said 2001. Hair would be a feminine pronoun. Okay, yeah. I apologize. I, I, I assume this is someone identified as a German. Yeah. All right, now that we understand the name, <laughs> she said. Uh, she said Rumsfeld, 2001. 
Robin Wait, Rob. is hair female? German? I don't know. I th- forgive me. It's a title. Uh, now i got to look this up. And I'm like, Herr Frau. Because I, I study German. I'm like, how do I not how do I not know this? No, okay, so it's just an honorific. Herr. Um, Frau. Um, <laughs> A German married woman. That's it. Yes, that's why I was thinking. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, okay. Frau. So, so she said Rumsfeld, 2001. Yeah. Robin Love said Rumsfeld, 2012. Iraq weapons. Uh, Gray State said Donald Rumsfeld, 2003. And Robin Mine said I was thinking Rumsfeld about WMDs. Yeah. Now, so uh, I'll, I'll let CJ properly explain this clip uh but yeah I, I knew it was rumsfeld i knew it was related to iraq if i had to guess i would have said like 2004 2005 like one or two years after the invasion i think people were, were reporters our reporters at press conference they were grilling him on um something and, and i mean it's a great point like i remember hearing this going like why are people making fun of him for saying this like it's it's actually like a really important intellectual concept yes you know what you know there's a there's a border to your knowledge and you have none known unknowns that touch the border of your knowledge like i know that there's a language called japanese i know that i don't know how to speak it right it's a known unknown but an unknown unknown things you don't even know that you don't know and and to point that out and to maintain that concept of intellectual humility and to know that, you know, that the more you know, the bigger your field of knowledge gets, the more known unknowns there are. And that's a really important perspective to keep in mind. So, CJ, tell us about this clip. Well, um, I had it on the screen here while you were talking to save time. It is Donald well, I was Trump, taking so you long to wrap 2002, and, uh, you know, I do have the clip ready to go. It is known unknowns. And uh, it's just a great part of history, I think. So uh, let me go ahead, just indulge everybody. For yeah, there is no evidence of a direct link between Baghdad and some of these terrorist organizations. There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns the ones we don't know we don't know <laughs> excuse me but is this an unknown unknown uh, i'm not several unknowns and i'm, I'm, just I'm not going i'm not going to say which it is so cj why is this historically significant because we live in unknown times, sir. Or are they known times? I, are they known unknowns or are they known times? Do we know what we know or do we not know? Either way, I only know what I know, and that's all I know. And if, I, if there's things that are unknown, I don't know. So do we know? I don't know. Do you know? <laughs> I don't know, but that is a great way of describing how it's relevant today. By historical significance, I would say this was during the well, – what was the date? Uh, it was uh, 2002. It was about weapons of mass destruction okay. in Iraq. So it was February 12th. Pre-invasion. So I was wrong about the timing here and, and wrong about the sort of historical story significance in regards to 
uh, you know, the global war on terror. But at that point, the invasion of Afghanistan was already underway in response to 9-11. And this was important. And this, the reason Rumsfeld deserved to be called out for this and ridiculed is that he was using it to avoid answering a question honestly and openly with full you know, possible transparency. And and it was like people lampooned him mercilessly uh, for that. And, and in, in that sense, he completely slipped it. So we have a 2001 and a 2003. But it was 2002. Right, so that's what I mean. When do we... Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, for tiebreakers, which of those years is closest? Was it in the beginning of Did anybody say February? Well, one person did say it, but this was after February 2002, I thought. But he didn't ever, I was scrolling up, I didn't see him ever guess the name. He was uh, just... Who knows? Maybe he's not watching live. I don't know. I don't know. Because you can always rewind and watch from the beginning, from the start. Also, my name changes often. Also, I'm a dude, LOL. (laughs) He's a dude. Why are you calling yourself a German married woman? We're going to call you she. If we have, we're not going to call you they. All right? We're not doing gender-neutral pronouns here. Unless it's like rhetorically appropriate, if you have a female identifier in your name, we can refer to you by gender. Uh, hair frow. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a reference to something else. But uh, CJ, thank you for sharing this. And and you know, as as uh, you know, military vets. The, the, I mean, this was part of why I saw innocent people die in Iraq up close and personal because Rumsfeld. As a military profiteer, uh, one of the most, you know, I separating the person from the action, someone who's done and been responsible for some of the most evil things that humanity has done in the modern era. Rumsfeld, as uh, Secretary of Defense under Bush II, was uh, horrific. Now, is this a known or an unknown, sir? Oh, I know the fuck out of this. Rumsfeld is responsible for a lot of evil and yes, uh, we will be allowed to curse like this when we get to our Patreon-only live stream starting next week. All right, we got to wrap up. We're over time. Go to patreon.com slash Adam versus the man. Jim, any burning comments we didn't uh, get to? Well, really quick. It was between Gracie and the male. Oh, yeah. Female. Let's get a zoom both said, Don't give it to me. I'll pay American Green money. All right. Yes. So, Beautiful spirit of concession. Thank you, Gracie. Email me at jim at thefreedomline.com and I'll get you set up with that. Thank you very much. Thank you for the person going by the name of Grace State embodying the beautiful spirit of camaraderie embodied by our late friend David Crowley, who was responsible for the Grace State project that never came to fruition before his untimely death. Thank you for honoring that. With that, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.